Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 18th. Day three of the 2023 Australian Open is now officially in the books. It was a day that saw a 70 shot rally, a day that saw play push well past 1 a.m. Melbourne time, and of course, most notably, a day that saw top seed and Australian Open men's singles defending champion Rafael Nadal knocked out of the event in summary. What a 24 hours for all of us to enjoy. And of course, here on today's show, I want to put a final bow on all of day three's action. Now, if you're looking for an in-depth conversation on the impact of Mackie McDonald's straight set upset victory over Nadal, I would turn all of you listeners to the emergency episode I recorded late last night with my dear friend Ben Rothenberg. He and I not only break down the tactics of the match, what allowed Mackie to have success through the first 90 minutes, but of course, given the injury Nadal sustained last night, we also discussed where Rafa goes from here. That injury bug has consistently plagued him, not just over the course of the past year and a half, but really throughout the course of his career. And you just wonder if everything has finally added up for the 22-time slam champion. That said, of course, we break down the stats for why there are reasons to remain optimistic. If you're a Rafa fan, we also, of course, talk about what this victory means for a Mackenzie McDonald who has dealt with plenty of injury adversity himself. We talk about the impact on the draw moving forward as well. It was a fantastic emergency edition of the show considering the hour it was recorded at. So again, I'm going to steer away from the Rafa Mackey match here on this podcast. We did a full 35 minutes on it on a separate episode. That said, as always, what I want to do here today, hand out my best performances from day number three. Who were the best on the men's side, best on the women's side? We'll talk about the biggest surprises, most significant results, best watches. We'll try to touch on every match that was played on day three of this event, not just the thrilling second rounders, but of course we had 22 first round matches that were also completed on day three. So we finally caught up in the draw of the schedule, much cleaner moving forward, looking forward to getting back on track, getting back on schedule, not only with the event, but certainly here with this show as well. I'll end with my top matches of day number four, all that planned on another jam packed edition of this show. Of course, before we get into it, have to give a shout out, not only to all of you listeners who continue to tune in day in, day out, we remain immensely grateful that you you trust us here at Crack Rackets to keep you informed on everything happening in the tennis world. But of course, also have to give a major shout out to our first supporter, our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. If you have any equipment needs or would like to accessorize the finer features of your game, turn to our friends at Tennis Point. They've got you covered with the best equipment at the best prices. Go to tennis-point.com today. Use our promo code CR15. You'll not only let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. I would also remind all of you listeners that if you're looking for more Australian Open content, you can head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed, which you can find wherever you listen to your shows or on the newly 
renovatedcrackrackets.com. There we preview each and every day's matches. I offer my picks, my predictions. I'm feeling pretty good as we make the turn towards the back half of this event. So get in now. You don't want to be too late. You can hear more predictions, previews each and every day over on the Great Shot podcast feed. With that said, let's get into day number three of the 2023 Australian Open. As always, we'll start with our top performers on the women's side. Now, this, I think, would be an underrated pick, someone who's not going to lead a lot of the shows. I suppose there's not that many shows as it relates to covering the Australian Open, but it's not going to lead TC Live. That said, I think Ju Lin has been one of the biggest winners of this first three-week stretch of the 2023 season. You look at what she's been able to accomplish. The 28-year-old, soon to be 29, from China reaches the quarterfinals in Auckland. Two good wins over Brangle Venus before getting knocked out by Coco Goff. She then loses first round to Sonia Kennan in Hobart, but a 2-4 and four win over Rebecca Marino, followed by a straight set win, 2-2. Two and two. Over Jill Teichman on day number three, you look at what has clicked so well for the 28-year-old. She doesn't have the most obvious weapons. It's one of those things where it's a really well-rounded skill set. Julin moves pretty well around the court. She hits the forehand with pretty good depth, pretty good action on that ball, drives through her backhand pretty well, although I do think that side can be more of a liability as it's the side she's more likely to leave short, but you look for Julin, 42-26 and 26 overall in her last 52 weeks. You look for her in her careers at the slam. This is the first time she's reached the third round of a major in her career. Now, she's reached the second round a couple of times in New York here in Australia back in 2021. She also did it at Wimbledon in 2021. That season happened to be, uh, or I should say at the end of last year, she reached a new career high, number 58 for what it's worth. She's currently 87 in the rankings, though, after reaching this third round, Julin up to number 65, which is where you want to be because you're getting into any event qualifying at the worst that you want to play. She's one of the biggest winners. And again, it's not that she does any one thing spectacularly well. It's that she did a really good job absorbing the heavy topspin that Teichman threw at her, forcing Teichman to have to stay disciplined, you know, not pulled the trigger too soon because if she did, Julian would capitalize with her speed, with her defensive capabilities. You look for Teichman in this match. Only 12 winners, 31 unforced errors. She found herself pressing because Julian was not breaking. She was redirecting pace well. She was making a ton of first serves. Again, it was steady pressure from Julian. Now, there's no doubt this is a disappointing result for Teichman. Another disappointing result for uh, the 32nd seed who of course, has had some spectacular runs. Finals of Cincinnati back in 2021. She made, what, the semifinals, I want to say? Our quarterfinals of Dubai, round of 16, Doha last year. Semifinals, though, yeah, of Madrid uh, during last season where she earned really impressive wins over Rabacana, over Fernandez, over Kvitova. There's no doubt Teichman with her heavy ground strokes, she runs hot and cold. Sometimes the unforced errors pile up far too much, and you just feel like she hasn't found that 75% ball yet, that neutral shot that sets the table for the point. I still am a believer in the 25-year-old's upside. She was top 10 in top 20 wins during the course of the 2022 season. But that was a poor that was a poor showing, and it's a testament to Julian, who, again, 
relentlessly put pressure on her. Julin, not who you expected to start this day three recap. Again, I would point out we did a full 35 minutes on Rafa Mackey, so that would have been the lead if we hadn't already talked about it. But she's one of my most impressive performers into the third round of a major for the first time, back into the top 70 of the rankings. An impressive 2-2 two two win over Jill Teichman in a an event where there really haven't been that many major upsets, although there were a few of them yesterday, certainly, and we'll get to that when we talk about the biggest surprises, but it's a really good win for Julin to get to the third round in just a nice, a really nice start quarterfinal as well uh, at the WT level, a really nice start to her 2023 season. That said, I'll go a little bit more mainstream with my next pick. The other top performers on the women's side, how about all the top contenders? It feels like, again, for the first time, and you could say this a little bit at the U.S. Open, given it was Pagula, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Jabur, all in the main conversation down the home stretch. All the contenders have looked pretty good thus far on the women's side. Now, maybe you'll say, well, Daria Kasatkina lost five, uh, excuse me, Daria Kasatkina lost, what, one in one yesterday, I believe was the result, to Gracheva. And again, that's one of your most surprising results. We'll get to a little bit later. I don't consider Kasatkina a tier one contender. I just don't think she has the weapons to beat some of the power players at the top of the WTA rankings, or at least beat three or four of them consecutively like you'd need to do to win a major. So to me, she's never a tier one contender. I don't think you can put Chin Wen in that conversation yet. Obviously, I was pretty high on Kvitova coming into this event. She loses her match. We'll get there in a little bit, although Kalanina might deserve a shout out here in terms of the top performers of the day. And we'll get, again, we'll get there in a second. But what was so surprising to me despite all of those disclaimers, was how steady and how impressive some of the best, you know, top seeds in the women's singles draw looked. You'll start with Iga Sviantek, 2-3 and three over Kami Osorio. Sviantek was playing chess. Osorio was playing checkers. Just Sviantek was never phased by Osorio's game. The slices, the angles, the drives down the line when she takes that ball early on the rise. Sviantek was everywhere. Everything was on Iga's terms I mean, again, she had time to set her feet behind her forehand, and I do think there's a little more gusto behind that forehand now. Eagle looked great. Two and three win, uh, winner. She is the beneficiary of an upset that we'll talk about in a second. She no longer will have to stare down Bianca Andrescu. Instead, it's Buxa in the third round. That's a massive win for Iga because she's had two tough matches, right? Nehemiah on paper. Osorio's a former top junior in the world who tests you physically. I'm not saying Books is bad. I'm saying she doesn't present the threat that certainly the best version of Bianca Andrescu does. And so, again, Iga, time to steady the ship, and she's already started that process. She's one of your top performers. Pagula, 2-6 and six over Sasnovich. Sasnovich moves the ball really well. Sasnovich is one of those, entry, you know, again, a litmus test to top 40 entry on the WTA Tour because she plays with good pace. She takes the ball early. She moves pretty well. Comfortable volleyer. No no distinguished weapons in her arsenal. But again, Pagula worked her. She's hitting the return like it's a watermelon right now. You look for Pagula in this match. Again, a 2-6 and six victory for the number three seed. Pagula on serve. Actually broken three times uh, when 66% of her first serve points. But the big thing for me, again, is how well she returned yesterday. Five breaks of serves, uh, 11 break point chances. She won 70% of her second serve returns, but perhaps even more impressively, 41% of her first serve returns. 
she played really good ball. Again, she's hitting the return so well right now, back to her 2021 form where she was the number one returner on the WTA Tour. She's playing more confidently behind her plus one balls. Yes, she got broken three times, but she was always in command of the scoreboard. It felt like she was never chasing. Credit Duke Pagula, tested in that second set, ultimately threw in straights again. I thought she was pretty impressive given the level Sasnovich showed. Uh, Madison Keys, 3-2, and two, impressive. Rabakina, 2-1 over Yvonne. Yvonne didn't play poorly. Rabakina was just in the zone. She was hitting the return early on the rise. She blitzed Yvonne off the court. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm trying not to dive too deep into the statistics for any match because there so, are so many to cover. But you look for Elena Rabakina on the day. She ultimately hits 23 winners against 19 unforced errors. Yvonne just 11 winners. And it's because nothing was on her terms. Rabakina, 21 of 24 on first serve points. She didn't face a single break point throughout the course of the match. She played dominant front foot Serena Williams power tennis uh, country club power. Power Tennis Country Club Tennis. There it is. And first reference of the tournament. And looked very much like a player who can absolutely win this event. And by the way, and I said this in our previews, so does Victoria Azarenka. You look for Vika. She is fit. She is striking the ball brilliantly. She drops just one game against Nadia Podoroska yesterday. An 0-1 victory. Obviously, she didn't face a break point throughout the course of that match. I know... Azarenka lost to Naskova, uh, three sets in Adelaide, one quarterfinal. She loses three sets to Kudermatova in Adelaide, two. Neither of those are bad losses, given the context of each of those players' weeks. Kudermatova, what, made the semifinals of the event before withdrawing with an injury. Naskova finalist, obviously, in Adelaide, one. You know, you look for... Azarenka, the impressive first-round victory, 4-6 and six over Kennan, now 0-1 over Podoroska, who just had not a single weapon in her arsenal to hurt this fit version of Vika with. I'm telling you, the 33-year-old is playing some really good tennis. Keep your eyes out for Victoria Azarenka, who has a blockbuster. Day 5 is going to be so good because a lot of the women's seeds that are relevant are still alive, and a lot of the men's seeds who are relevant are still alive as well. And I mean, come on. Vika versus Madison Keys. It's a 55-45 match according to the Tennis Abstract. You imagine odds-wise, I haven't looked yet, but it's probably going to be in the minus 125 range, no higher for one player or the other. That, my friends, a Keys who's 18-2 and two now, by the way, with her win in her last 20 matches in Australia. Like, come on now. That's what it's all about. Krachikova looked really good. 4-1 win. She rounded. I mean, she just got better and better as the match progressed. Wore down Clara Burrell. And then the last one, again, and I know I'm blitzing through all the seeds here, but I guess I won't have to do that later. How about Coco Goff? 3-6 and six over Emma Raducanu. Goff was just more comfortable playing aggressive first strike on her terms, decisive tennis than Raducanu was. I thought you look at the stats for this match, they're certainly indicative of that. Now, neither player lit up the scoreboard. You look for Raducanu, 17 winners to Goff's 13. Goff, 41 unforced errors to Raducanu's 42. But I think that speaks to the physicality of this match. You look at the rally analysis and shout out, of course, to the Australian Open website for providing that rally analysis. In this match, there were 147 total points played, uh, 78 of those points. Yeah, wait, 42 plus 36. Yeah, 78 of those points were played uh, five shots or longer. So there was a lot of grinding in this match, long physical rallies trying to open up a crease to attack behind. And as such, 
I know the unforced error count was high, but that's because it, players, each of these players had to pull the trigger. Both too physically fit, both outstanding defenders, both absorb redirect pace. That's probably where they're at their best. Goff was just a little bit better at manufacturing that pace. And you look at the big number, she won 40 of the 0-4 to four shot rallies. Radakanu was at 29. It was just a little bit easier for Goff to make things a little bit easier on herself. That said, again, five total breaks of serve. Goff was 3 of 7 on break points. Radakanu was 2 of 10. They both had equal amounts of chances. And as I forecasted on the GSP Ace of the Day segment, Radakanu played Goff pretty even on the backhand wing. Like again, Goff's backhand is elite, as is Radakanu's. Both of them can drive the ball consistently with depth, with action. They can do a cross court or down the line. Both of them, when pushed on that wing, were able to be creative when they were landing first serves. They were able to be the aggressors. Goff was just a little bit more comfortable moving forward. Goff had a little bit more action on her forehand. Was just, you know, again, Radakanu drives it well, but when she moves forward, she's a little indecisive with that forehand approach shot. Goff who moves extraordinarily well, would either A, force her to hit some hit a great pass herself, force her to hit something uncomfortable, or B, extend the rally to the point where Radakanu couldn't move forward because the forehand didn't create an advantageous enough position and you're just too afraid of what Goff is going to do on the run. Again, I know the unforced error count is high. The winner count is low. That speaks to the physicality of this match. Over 50% of the match went over five shots. That very, very rarely happens and speaks to, again, the, the physical nature of each of these young players' games. You look for Radakanu. Yes, she's knocked out in the second round. She's currently sitting at 75 in the rankings. Meanwhile, with this win, Goff up to number six in the live ranking. Sets up a date, by the way, for Coco Goff up next with... Uh, Bernarda Pera, who we'll get to in a little bit. Um, well, it, it's a really good win for Goff. I thought Radakan, who played solid tennis, she just, again, couldn't quite manufacture enough pace. There wasn't quite enough there with the first serve. She wasn't comfortable moving forward and forcing Goff to come up with something special in the way that Goff was to her. So, again, fun, physical match, but Goff is through to the third round, and she will be the comfortable favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, 78.8% against Bernarda Pera. It's a good win for Goff. And again, all these players, Sviantek, clearly the favorite entering. After Pagula beat Sviantek, she's either the top of Tier 2 or certainly in the Tier 1 conversation. Goff made a French Open final not that long ago. Keys was a semifinalist last year. Krejcikova, a quarterfinalist last year. She wins Ostrava at the end of the season. Rabakina won Wimbledon last year. And I'm telling you, just watch 10 minutes of Victoria Azarenka, and you'll say, whoa, she does look fit. She does look in form. All these players are playing the part. They are all setting up what should be a really fun second week of action at this opening slam of the 2023 season. So with that said, those are your top women's performers on the day. I guess I should also give a shout out to Danielle Collins, who gets through in three sets. She's clearly banged up. It can't move quite as well. Her knee is heavily taped, and yet it was a really high level between her and Carolina Mukova. Collins, a 6-7-6-2-7-6 win, uh, ultimately, to advance. You look overall at the stats just quickly in that one. Collins' ability to strike winners from the baseline is just, it remains immensely impressive. You look for Collins, who had uh, 33 winners on the day, uh, you know, uh, against 48 unforced errors. Mukova, 36 winners against 37 unforced errors. Again, this match went to seven. Seven, six in the third, and one of the reasons why I want to bring it up, Collins, 
I think goes up 7-4 in the breaker in the third set, and she throws her racket, and she puts her hands up in the air because she thought she had won the match. And then the lines, uh, the chair umpire had to say no to, you know, the third set breaker is a super breaker. It's played to 10. You could see Collins come to the realization of, oh, my God, like, you're kidding me. You're right, but this is mortifying. And I think she lost the first point after that, and you could kind of see in her face, like, no way am I going to lose this after that. And she never faced a match point, ultimately gets up 9-6, closes it out. Um, look, her ability to generate pace, move the ball around the court with her ground strokes, it can be elite when she's in form. I just don't know how healthy Collins will be moving forward. Again, two tough three-set wins for Collins so far in this event. Up next, she faces the, the again, overwhelming power of Elena Rabakina. You know, I believe Rabakina beat Collins earlier in the year in Adelaide. In fact, she did a three-set win Always tough to be a player twice in the first three weeks of the season. That said, again, given the state of Collins' knee, I just don't know if she'll be able to absorb that heavy pace repeatedly as she'll need to do against certainly the Rabakina we saw today. So the early lean would be Rabakina, but that should be a fun match, and certainly on paper it seems exciting. The last shout-out I got to give is to Diana Schneider, who didn't win her match, but she felt like a winner. I mean, when she takes the first set over Maria Sakari, 6-3, and fights her way back, breaks back for four-all, has Sakari telling the chair umpire, if she pumps her fist at me one more time, I'm going to explode, or whatever the exact terminology was. I mean, the shot-making of the 18-year-old lefty, who, by the way, may have lost this match, but you look for Schneider now. She's up to number 92, a career high inside the top 100 for the first time by winning a match here. $100,000 potentially available to her to kick off her career. Certainly with a top 100 ranking, you get entry into some of the biggest events available I mean, the weaponry. Everyone was talking about the weaponry. Her forehand is just gorgeous. And when she gets her hands on the ball, she is going to drive that ball with pace and with action. She's comfortable moving forward. How she fists up pumps and just cheers so confidently. It's contagious. It's everything you love about watching a young player. The innocence, dare you say, of how positive they are because they don't know any better. They haven't done enough losing yet. And there's just a belief you see in Schneider and that willingness to go down swinging, again, th- breaks back to force, you know, Sakari to work a little bit harder in that uh, second set and then gets frisky at the end of the third. Although ultimately, of course, Sakari does earn the three set win, three, six, seven, five, six, three. But Schneider kept swinging. You know, shout out, unfortunately, to the commentary team who didn't quite understand how college tennis works. No, Schneider has not played a semester of college tennis yet. Of course, that was the big question everyone was speculating on, which we've done plenty of speculating about here at Cracked Rackets over the course of the past three months. And you can go hear our Great Shot podcast episode talking about week one of the college tennis season where we talk about what we think happens next for Schneider, the pros and cons of going to college. Certainly her tennis doesn't need it, but there are many off-the-court reasons that she would like that opportunity. But now you're top 100. Now there's over $100,000 sitting waiting for you. And again, everyone was just captivated by the weaponry last night. She has to be one of your best performers and uh, certainly was fun to watch her push Sakari, even as Sakari ultimately earns the three-set win. With that said, let's head over to the men's side now because there are plenty of performances we'd like to talk about there. Obviously, again, Mackie, go listen to the emergency podcast, but how about the next-gen ATP? We've talked about 
the generational shift on the ATP Tour here at Cracked Rackets, really since our inception back in 2017. Now, we were a little bit early, but we were talking about who could those guys be in all of them. Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Sinner, Shapovalov, Tiafo, the, you know, Hatchinov, the newer guys, Nori and Korda. They all get through, you know, Felix, Hercot, they all get through into week number, uh, into round number three. And again, a third round is not a quarterfinal. It's not a semifinal. It's not even a second week. But as I've liked to repeat, a wise man once said, shout out Arthur Azga. He was trying to motivate our club tennis team at the start of nationals our senior year for what it's worth. It worked. Uh, but he goes, guys, we can't win the tournament here in round number one, but we can certainly lose it. So let's not lose it. And guess what? The next-gen guys, they didn't fucking lose it here on day number three. For the most part, they all held script. And, you know, again, given Rafa's injury issues coming into this event, uh, given the fact that, you know, he hadn't played his best tennis, losing two three-cent matches to Nori to Demonauer at the United Cup, uh, going out in the fashion he did to Mackey, getting outplayed through the first hour, really, and then again, injuring himself again. It was so unfortunate to see. That's not how any of us want to see any player, let alone arguably one of, if not the greatest player in men's tennis history, go out in that fashion, especially when he's the defending champ. He comes back from two sets to love and 2-1 love for, or 1-2 love 40 down to win last year's title. It sucked to see him limp his way through the finish line. But again, as it relates to the next-gen guys, Berrettini loses first round, but it was to Andy Murray. George loses his first round, but it was to a very much informant, rising next-gen 2.0 talent in Yuri Lachetchka. Musetti, a little banged up coming into round number one, but he even lost to a 1996-er, an original next-gen OG in Lorenzo Musetti. Like, again, the big names of this next-gen ATP generation, the Tsitsipases, the Medvedevs, the Felixes, the Sinners, they're all still alive at this point of the event. And we'll get to the Felix Hercots later when we talk about our most significant results. But, oh man, was Stefano Tsitsipas just exceptional yesterday in his straight set victory over Rinki Hijikata. You look for Tsitsipas ultimately earns a 6-3, 6-love, 6-2 win over the former UNC All-American. Watching Tsitsipas hit his first serve and then just unload on the first forehand, his ability to trap that ball, keep his momentum moving forward through the court, regardless of where you hit that return of serve, if it's to his forehand wing, and then his ability to stay strong through that ball, absorb your pace, redirect that pace, place it so well. 30 winners against 17 unforced errors for Tsitsipas last night. He went 13 of 17 at the net, fight off, fought off excuse me, all five break points that he faced, won 79% of his first serve points, 67% of his second serve points. He was just in form last night. Again, he won 23 more of the 0-4 to four shot rallies than Hijikata did. He also outplayed him on the longer rallies. And again, Tsitsipas was just a little bit better. Rinky couldn't provide, couldn't, put constant pressure, I should say, on on Tsitsipas throughout the course of the match. But that's what the best players in the world do. And I don't mean this about Rinky in general, but to inferior competition. Rinky is not on the level of Stefano Tsitsipas. And you saw that very clearly last night. And again, looking at the draw, Tsitsipas, he's got Greek Spore next, who's playing really well, but that's a very winnable match then. Again, Sinners looked really good. And last night, Sinner, by the way, another straight set victory, this time 3-2-2 two, two over Tomas Echeverri. 
I mean, boy, Sinner's moving well. He looks fit. He's sliding well. Like He's hitting the ball with that same renewed confidence we saw at the U.S. Open where I remind everyone he had a match point in the quarterfinal against Alcaraz. He looks very much in form, and that would be the tough test for Tsitsipas because it does appear that Sinner is healthy. But again, you look at this section of the draw, Sans Rafa, a lot of seeds left. We have ourselves a pecking order situation. Nishioka, Hachinov, Shapo, Korda, Hercots, Medvedev, Sinner, you know, Nori, Felix. These are the guys Tsitsipas wants to beat if he wants to be one of the guys of his generation. And I'll tell you what, you saw it at United Cup. You see, you know, with the win over Hercots, you see it, uh, the win over Dimitrov. You see it in his early form here in the slam. He's come ready for this 2023 season, given how poorly he ended last year. That's great development for the number three seed. Again, to kind of run through these top seeds because they have all looked good. Medvedev, Medvedev. Milman just couldn't hurt him consistently enough. 5-2-2. Two, two. Medvedev looks fit as a fiddle. Like, I will be sh- He is my... I, I, I might even play a futures bet on today's ace of the day on Medvedev to make the final because he's just in octopus mode. And then there's also the fact that he's six foot six and can just rail 135 mile per hour serves down the tee at will. Um, he's in form. Iron Lung Nori, credit to Lestien who tested him, uh, but ultimately Cam Nori threw in four sets. He's he's striking the forehand more aggressively. There are a few more unforced errors, though, right now for Cam Nori. And look, when it was time to buckle down sets three and four, he went into brick wall mode and Lestien couldn't hurt him consistently enough. But after playing his best at United Cup, if you watch the Auckland event, you actually watch Nori play, not just look at the scoreboard. You've watched him through his first couple of matches. He's at about 86% right now. And, you know, again, given the status of this top half of the draw, next up for Cam Nori, a very dangerous, big-hitting Yuri Lachetchka. That is a fun matchup between those two, a dangerous matchup for Nori. He'll have to raise his level. This is a step up in competition. So excited for that one. Boy, Francis Tiafo, there's just a different aura around him. Tiafo 4-4-1 over the talented 17-year-old Jerry Chang, who Tiafo praised, as have I, the length on Chang's ground strokes, his ability to shape the ball, shape points, and the explosion of his ground strokes as well, the explosion of his serve. Everything comes off that racket just screaming. And yet there's just a different aura around Francis Tiafo right now. He just... He's playing checkers, you're playing chess, not to beat that into the ground, but it just feels like he is now a top 20 guy, and he knows it, and he beats who he's supposed to beat. You look for Francis in first matches of events over the course of the last 52 weeks, he's 16-5 and five overall. You look for him against players ranked outside the top 50, Tiafo 25-8 and eight overall, and you know, again, Goes undefeated in United Cup play, beats everyone he's supposed to beat, plus a really good three-set win over Dan Evans, reached the quarterfinals at the Paris Masters, finals in Tokyo, obviously semifinals at the U.S. Open, beat Tsitsipas at Laver Cup. It's a different Francis Tiafo. He just takes care of the little things. Now, it's all business out there. And yes, there's still the improvisational flair. He doesn't sacrifice entertainment in maintaining his business-like status, but he just beats you. And he has more time on the forehand now. He's more disciplined about when he seeks out running around that forehand, hitting big through it, more disciplined about when he works in his drop shots, so effective moving forward. And he knows it. 
and there's just an aura around him. And so credit to Tiafo into another third round here. Tiafo sneakily up to a new career high, number 14 in the live rankings. And guess what? That feels just about right for the soon-to-be 25-year-old. France is very impressive in round number two. You also, again, Shapovalov, straight set winner. I should have done the ta- – I did a Tiafo shapovalov parlay that one on day one. I wanted to do it again on day three, but I was like, nah, mix things up. I shouldn't have. It would have hit again. So, again, credit to Shapovalov, three, six, and five. It was typical Shapovalov tennis, but Korda, 2-5-4, and four, his pace, his depth, his serve, just overwhelmed that Watanuki forehand. Nishioka, Sivrakina just couldn't hurt him, as expected. Straight set win for the 31 seed for a guy who, again, is clearly a top 50 player. And you look for Yoshi up to number 33, back up to his career high with this third round result in Australia. I mean, again, Sarundalo, a, a four-set winner. Hachinov, a four-set winner. They were a little less impressive. But shout-out to the next-gen guys. They have brought their best tennis here to this 2023 Australian Open. And it makes sense as, again, Rafa's out of the draw. Federer's retired. It's time for them to assert themselves. And I said this with Ben in our mini-break emergency podcast. I want to reiterate this point quickly. It's not to diminish the moments when Djokovic and Nadal do battle with one another because they're always special. Look at last year's French Open quarterfinal, how well Rafa played when he turned on the Jets in that match, or the year prior, how well Djokovic played to knock off Rafa on what is essentially his home court. Their matchups are always special. But you know what's also exciting? Seeing a new guy have the opportunity, or one of these older guys but with newfound pressures, step up to the occasion. Even if it is Medvedev again versus Djokovic, or if it is a Felix, or, you know, again, a Tsitsipas, whomever is going to come out of this top half of the draw, it's exciting. It's a new bite at the apple. It's just something we haven't seen over 50 times as we have in Djokovic Nadal. And again, as you know, I'm excited about the generation shift. As sad as it was to see Rafa go out in the fashion that he did, it does create an opportunity for one of these young guys to step up, and that will be one of the biggest storylines here of week number two. And with the level of play we've seen out of these top seeds, all of them right now, in my opinion, playing well enough to make that sort of run. Shout-out to the next-gen seeds. Shout-out to Talon Greekspor. What is that now? Seven consecutive wins for him to start this 2023 season after Greekspor struggled so significantly to end the 2022 season. You look for Talon Greekspor had a stretch where he lost seven of eight matches to end last year. Seven in a row to start this season into the third round of the Australian Open following a straight-set win over Botik van de Senschkalp, 4-4-4. Four, four, four. He's yet to drop a set. In this tournament, he's dropped just one service game in this event, made 72% of his first serves, won 74% of those first serve points, 56% of the second. Everything was on his terms last night. He had Botic running around the court at the right moments. He pressured the Botic forehand with pace. Again, you look for Greek Spore overall. He hits 32 winners against 28 unforced errors. Botic, 20 winners against 36 unforced errors. Greekspor, four of five on breakpoint chances. Botic, one of four. Greekspor's just playing confident. And again, he goes from losing seven of eight matches to seven consecutive victories here to start the season or whatever it was. Six, I think it was seven of eight matches. And now you look for Greekspor. All that's made up for as he's back up to number 56 in the live rankings. And again, 
Sometimes that gets you into a Masters event main draw on your own ranking. At a minimum, it means you're into qualifying. It just means he's going to have the opportunity as a guy who thrives on these hard courts, indoor hard courts, you feel like in particular, although he's a lot of clay success at the challenger level in his career as well. But you feel like he could have a big February and put himself back inside the top 50. So had to give a shout out to Greek Sport. He's the Lin Ju on the, uh, Ju Lin, excuse me, on the men's side. You're not going to lead most of the shows, but certainly a guy who deserves a shout out here today. That said, let's move on to our women's biggest surprises. By the way, we had a listener write into our website. I apologize. I'm blanking on your name. Hopefully, the fact that I just said that said didn't deter you, but I am well aware. He sent us an email saying, Alex, love the show, which I appreciated. Always appreciate feedback, constructive, positive, negative, whatever it may be. He goes, I love the show, but you find yourself transitioning in between topics far too frequently saying that said, and I am well aware of that fact. I would just like all of you listeners to know. I beat myself up each and every show about the fact that I keep saying that said or the fact that I said with that in mind or all of the transitions in this podcast. It's what I continue to strive to get better at as we continue to do this show moving forward. And again, I just want it. it Westoff read it to me and we both died with laughter because I think I had just done that rant to Westoff the other day where I was telling him I just get angry with myself with how I'm transitioning. And we were both dying with laughter. We appreciate the comments. So thank you for writing that in. Let me know what other habits of mine may frustrate all of you listeners. But shout out to that said guy because I always appreciate the feedback. That said, again, let's talk about the women's biggest surprises uh, on day number three. This is where we can get into some of the upsets, and there were a healthy amount of them on this day. You look overall four total on the women's side. Gracheva one and one over Kasakina. One and one. Let me say that again. The number eight seed in this event, whose match got delayed a million times, which should be a disclaimer that is mentioned because it got windy, it got nasty, you're sitting around all day, that's no fun for everyone. But the number eight seed in this event, someone who made the World Tour Finals last season, loses one and one to Gracheva. No disrespect to the 22-year-old Russian who's back into the top 100 with this run, but I mean, you can't hit three winners in a match and expect to advance. Kasakina, three winners against 23 unforced errors. Gracheva was able to match the physicality, was a little more willing to pull the trigger down the line. 23 winners against 23 unforced errors, perhaps more impressively. She went 15 of 16 at the net. That was the wrinkle. That's what she did. Whenever she got pushed, Kasakina in the corner, Kasakina would throw up a moon ball or something neutral, and Gracheva would attack behind it, whether it's redirecting down the line or, again, an, uh, an aggressive cross-court shot to the open court and following it into the net. Gracheva was just better at that than Kasakina. Kasakina was far too passive in today's match. Started spraying when she tried to get a little bit more aggressive at the start of set number two. It just wasn't working for the eighth seed. And again, credit to the 22-year-old Gracheva, who with this result, you look now, Gracheva, as I mentioned, back into the top 100, up to nine, up to number 94, excuse me, with this run as well. Gracheva's going to have uh, an opportunity, certainly, as she is going to take on... Uh, Lucerzia Stefanini, the qualifier in round number two of this event here on day four. Obviously, that's a first-round match from day number three, so she's going to have to play on back-to-back days. That said, you look for Gracheva, who made the third round of the French Open last year. She uh, has made a third round of the U.S. Open back in 2021, third round Roland Garros 
2021 third round U.S. Open back in 2020. Only 22 years old, and she's got multiple uh, sec. Or excuse me. I know. Again, I just said out loud. Westoff, give me a rewind sound effect, please. Which, by the way, I think some of you listeners won't hear that in the first edition of this show because Westoff is currently on the road. He'll be back later tonight, so I'm going to post this before he gets back. Um, but again, she's competing in the second round. You look for Karacheva now. It's her, her sixth second round at a major in her career, and she's only 22 years old. That's a lot of first-round wins. That's a lot of first-round paychecks. That's what allows you to keep traveling around the world. Credit to Gracheva. That's an impressive victory, certainly one of your biggest surprises on the day because, again, one and one. It was one and one. That was a shock. Man, so was the Buxa win. Buxa 2-6-7-6-6-4 over Andrescu. I don't know what happened. I really don't because this match was a 6-2 first set. Andrescu was cruising. She was moving well. She was striking the ball aggressively. She looked a lot like she did in her straight set win over Bozhkova in round number one. And then things fall apart. You look for Andrescu, who hits 31 winners against 53 unforced errors in this match. Uh, 47 of those 53 unforced errors came in sets two and three. Credit to Buxa, who moved the ball really well around the court. And certainly you look for Buxa now, who's going to have a tough third-round match taking on Iga Sviantek. But for the qualifier, who came in at a career-high world number 100 to make the third round at this slam, the 25-year-old's up to number 84. That's a new career-high in the live rankings. And, you know, again, you look for Buxa now 50-30. and 30. Overall, over the last 52 weeks, she has done this the hard way. She's played the ITF. She's played countless WTA qualifying events to get shots at main draws, qualifies for Roland Garros, and you know uh, ultimately then qualifies for the U.S. Open, wins a, a, a main draw match there as well, then goes back, plays 125Ks, plays 80Ks to build her ranking up. You can understand why she had to do that, because the 25-year-old doesn't have pronounced weapons, but what she does is put a ton of pressure on you with her physicality, and again, she makes you work, and Andrescu started spraying. She started getting a little anxious out there on court. Now, there are plenty of, by the way, I mentioned the 50-plus, what was it, 53 unforced errors for Andrescu in this max. Buxka made 50. Like, it got a little sloppy, uh, certainly, throughout the course of this one, but when things got sloppy... Andrescu was the one who fell apart. You know, Andrescu was the one who just couldn't seem to string three good points consecutively together. It'd be two good points and then three regression or, you know, a really good point, then two errors consecutively. It was tough. It was tough. Tough to process. And again, so many three-set results for Andrescu over the last 15 months. You see flashes of it. The first set, she looked like someone who should have been a top 10 seed. And then you saw sets two and three, and you say, oh, okay, this is why you look for Bianca Andreescu. She's currently sitting right now at number 40 in the WTA rankings, and that feels about right. Someone who, of course, has the immense upside, but just hasn't put it together consistently week in, week out yet since that exceptional 2019 season. And again, there's plenty, plenty of time. Bianca Andreescu is still 22 years old. Uh, but that was a tough loss for Andrescu, and unfortunately it robs us of what would have been the blockbuster Sviantec Andrescu third round. Instead, it's a blockbuster Sviantec Buxa round number three. Credit to Buxa into the third round of a major for the first time, I believe, in her career. Uh, the other upsets on the day, you had Julin, as I mentioned, knocking out Teichman. How about Angelina Kalanina? Five and four over Petra Kvitova. I'm kind of all in 
on Kalanina, who of course is unseated at this event, will now take on Krechikova in the third round. You look for the 25-year-old from Ukraine up to number 39 in the rankings coming into this event with her run. She reaches a career high at number 29 in the live rankings, 39 and 21 over the course of her last 52 weeks. She, of course, won a match at the U.S. Open at Wimbledon at Roland Garros last year as well. And Again, you win enough first-round matches, that's going to keep you in the top 50, my friends. She has done it now at each of the last four majors. And, you know, you look for her from a quarterfinal perspective. Kalanina, eight quarterfinals over the course of the past year, five of them at the tour level, three of them 100K or higher level events, which is the WTA equivalent of an ATP challenger. She just wins a lot, and she's done that a lot over the course of the past about four years, really, went 47-16, and 16, building her way up through the ITF circuit in 2021, 34-26 overall in 2019 as well. And again, Kalanina is not someone who, who overwhelms you with any one thing. She held, She's held 73.8% of the time this season, which would be a top 15 number. Breaks 40.9% of the time, that would be a top 10 number. Small sample size. The point is, she's someone who's very, uh, really solid at everything. Great athlete, fluid mover, can generate pace when her feet are set, can also absorb, redirect pace, and she did that extraordinarily well against Kvitova yesterday. She also did a great job dictating behind her first serve, was broken just once throughout the course of the match, but won 74% of her first serve points, 62% of her second serve points. She just took away the first shot winners from Petra Kvitova in this match, did a great job of using her movement to absorb that first strike, hit that first ball into the open court, and then she had Petra on the run. She forced Petra to earn everything again. Kalanina might be my new litmus test player for what it means to be in the top 30. Just such a tough out physically. And then generates better pace than you would expect. Like, it's not overwhelming. It's not Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. But it's very good. She's just a good athlete. She belongs inside the WTA Top 50. This was a very good win where she just made Kvitova work. And Kvitova was unable to come up with enough shot making in this match to ultimately get through. Now, it's not your biggest surprise of the day because, again, Kalanina is certainly capable of this level of tennis. You look for Angelina Kalanina. Now it's her fifth top 20 win over the course of the last 52 weeks. She's 5-11 and 11 against the top 20 in her career. 2-4 and four for what it's worth against the top 10. Not the biggest shock. You know, you look for Kvitova also. 37 winners against 41 unforced errors. Again, Kalanina, 18 winners, 13 unforced errors. She just made Kvitova work for it, and ultimately Kvitova didn't have the goods in the end. Credit to Kalanina because Kvitova did not play poorly. Kalanina was just in the zone. And then credit to Bernardo Pera, who knocks out the talented 20-year-old from China, Zheng Chinwen, 4-4. Four and four. We saw this from Pera last year when she won, what, 17 of 19 matches during the summer, worked her way into the top 50, the action on the lefty's ball. It's a serious issue to deal with, and you could tell Jung Chin Wen struggling to time things properly. Chin Wen, 20 winners against 27 unforced errors, but she only won 35% of her second serve points, 8 of 23 throughout the course of the match, and considering Chin Wen made just 57% of her first serves, that was the biggest difference. Pairs, the action on the return of serve, particularly the loopy, heavy forehand that Para hits off that lefty wing, it forced Chin Wen into errors, whether Para went inside out, down the line through that Chin Wen forehand, or even on the backhand wing. Chin Wen struggled. It just it was a little streaky, although it is worth pointing out, 
Chin Wen went up 4-1 in the first set of this match. She came out swinging. It actually took Para a little bit of time to adjust to that overwhelming pace. But when she did, the match became on Para's terms. And so, again, credit to Bernarda Para, 6-4, 6-4. She's through over Chin Wen. You look for Bernarda Para, who's had so many tight losses. It feels like over the years at the majors, Para now into the third round of a major here uh, for just, let's see, how many times has she done this in her career? It's just the second time. First since the 2018 Australian Open. She ended up losing that match to 20th seed Barbara Strisova. This time she's going to take on 7th seed and fellow American Coco Goff. So it's a tough draw, but she's already knocked out one seed. Why not another? Why not a younger American tread to Bernarda Pera for the upset victory? And then Credit to Nuria Parises Diaz. Also earns, excuse me, the fifth upset of the day. Parises Diaz, the three, uh, the straight set win, seven six six two over Beatrice Haddad Maya. Why was this one so surprising? Because if you watch the first set, Parises Diaz had eleven set points, and yet it felt like she had no business winning the set. Just again, Haddad Maya when she was in form. Her serve, her forehand, her ability to move the ball on around the court. It felt like the match was on her terms, and yet Parises Diaz just lingered. She was the one more daring to take the ball big down the line and change direction in the patterns that were unfolding each and every point. You look for Haddad Maya. Uh, she ultimately hits 19 winners against 32 unforced errors. Parises Diaz, to her credit, 30 winners even against the 37 unforced errors. It was just really sloppy, really sloppy for tennis from Bernardo Perez and I don't think this, the service stats do that number justice. She did go 7 of 23 on second serve points as well. Credit to Parises Diaz for putting Haddad Maya under some pressure. She just wasn't moving particularly great. All of her timing was off. It was a struggle for uh, Haddad Maya and what honestly would have been a pretty open section of the draw. You look for Haddad Maya. She would have faced Potapova against Samsonova. has been solid, but not exceptional to start this season. You have a, a wary Jabur in her quarter. This was tough. Like, again, this was a big opportunity, I think, for Haddad Maya, who's obviously done a lot of winning everywhere but the slams of late. But that's a tough loss for Haddad Maya, who I thought was playing pretty well entering this event. So again, your biggest surprise is probably the upsets we saw on the day. Uh, Gracheva, Parises, Diaz, Kalanina, Bernarda Pera, of course, Julin also offering one of those biggest surprises, two and two in her upset victory. On the men's side, I mean, again, were there that many surprises other than the Rafa loss? Certainly that's the biggest of the day. And again, 35 minutes, myself, Ben Rothenberg, over on our emergency edition of this show. The biggest surprises I have listed, probably that both FAA and Hercots survived. You feel like especially for Hoopy Hercots, who was 2-4 and four in his career against Lorenzo Sinego going into their match last night. Hoopy suffered so many different second-round losses at the majors throughout the course of his career. Just in general, so many early losses, it feels like, of late at the majors. Obviously, second round to Ivashka, U.S. Open, Davidovich, Fokina, Wimbledon, Manorino, second round last year. Seppi, second round U.S. Open in 2021. He lost to Emer, Botic, Sandgren in three consecutive first-round matches in 2021 and 2020. U.S. Open, second round to Davidovich, Fokina. Australian Open, second round to Millman back in 2020. A plethora of early losses for Hubi Hercots, but credit to Hubi, who was down an early, 
early three-love deficit to Lorenzo Sinego and found himself down a break in set number two as well. And yet, Hubie's able to get through. Five-set win over Sinego, 3-6-7-6-2-6-6-3-6-3. Hubie's into the third round of a slam for just the fourth time in his career. Now he's got a tough test in Denis Shapovalov, although I always think Hubie's a guy who plays up to the level, oh, just to the level of his competition, up or down, whatever it may be. But Again, that's a big win for Hubie. Just to start off the season, hold seed, or at least get to a point where he faces another seed now. And while he wouldn't be happy with a loss to Denis Shapovalov, at least that's better than this loss would have been, given Sinego in particular's form of late. It's a good five-set win for Hubie Hercots to advance. Certainly, again, biggest surprise is that he ultimately survives that one, particularly after he's down a set and a break early in that match. And then credit to Felix. He's down two sets to love. Mulchan is everywhere, the talented lefty, moving extraordinarily well. Felix is hesitant to move forward because it feels like every time he does, Mulchan finds the passing shot. But again, Felix just kept digging. Big serves, big forehands, move forward, play to Felix's strengths, try to stay on his terms, try to wear Mulchan down. That's exactly what happened as Mulchan falls apart down the home stretch. Felix ultimately able to separate 3676, uh, excuse me, 36366362662. Felix ultimately earning the victory to advance. And again, Felix has had a lot of success in Australia uh, over the past couple of years, but coming off of a U.S. Open where uh, obviously he loses second round to Jack Draper, coming off of a Wimbledon where he lost first round to Max Cressy. He's got a very winnable match against Francisco Sarundolo, certainly in the third round, and this is just a steadying of the ship for Felix, who with this result up to number seven in the live rankings, um, certainly it feels like he is well positioned to have a big 2023 season with how he ended 2022. But again, that both of those guys who have struggled of late early in majors, Felix, Hubi, they both get through in five sets. I think that's your biggest surprise on the men's side, other than maybe the American men. I mean, the American men just keep winning. What is it? 18 Americans, I believe. Uh, ultimately won first, uh, ultimately competed in the first round of this Australian Open. And, you know, again, you look overall, and I think the record was most uh, most Americans into the third, uh, second round of an Australian Open since 1996. I say it all the time here on this mini-break podcast. The 90s is referred to as the golden era of American men's tennis. And, it, again, the the fact that this group, whether it's at the U.S. Open, Wimbledon last year, it was, you know, in both events, the most since 1996, the most since 1995 to get to the second and third rounds for the American men. Here it's 13 into the second round of the Australian Open, the most since 1996. By the way, 24 combined men and women into the second round in singles, most since 96 as well. American, 13 Americans won first round matches and like, you know, yesterday, Holt escapes in five sets, and Mo escapes in five sets. Kudla loses the first. He escapes in four. Cressy wins in four over Ramos, Vinolas, Paul, Brooksby, and Fritz, and Tiafo, and, you know, all these guys are just taking J.J. Wolf. They're taking care of business. Ben Shelton, like, all of them. All of them are doing the job right now. If you can't get excited about these results as a fan of American men's tennis, I just don't know what to tell you because seriously, 13 into the second round. Now, some will say we still don't have a definitive slam contender. And I understand that qualm, and I think it's a fair one. But guess what? As a wise man once said, you can't win the tournament in the first round, but you can certainly lose it. 
And over the course of the past decade and a half, American men have done a lot of losing early in these major events. It's not the case over the course of the past year. And enough bites at the apple, maybe something clicks. Tiafo got to the U.S. Open semifinals. Maybe it's Fritz here or Korda here or, you know, maybe it's someone unexpected. Maybe Brooksby beats Kasparud and goes on some spectacular run. The point is a lot of bites at the apple. So I think that's the biggest surprise is we've talked a big game, certainly, about the American men. And that big game seems to finally be coming to fruition Credit to the American men. They have been one of the biggest surprises. Just a surprise that they are as good as we have talked them up to be, at least thus far. But I apologize if I just put the jinx on them. That said, most significant women's results, certainly Para knocking out Chin Wen. It felt like Chin Wen was just primed to have a leap at one of these slams this year. Turns out it's not going to be Australia. You probably go Iga as well because... Boy, if he plays her best, we've seen what that looks like over the course of the past year. On the men's side, Mackie, I mean, obviously, over Rafa. Korda, straight sets over Watanuki. I think he looks like a top 10 guy. I think he versus Medvedev is the best men's match on day number five, unequivocally. And then FAA and Hercots both getting through. Just make sure that the men's side... I mean, again, on the men's side, I went through the upsets. Yes, we lost Rafa. Last, we lost Berrettini. But given the context of both... I still just think we got a lot of good guys still left in this draw. And F.A. and Hercots both advancing make day number five that much more enjoyable. In terms of the best watches, Kalanina, Kvitova, the athleticism of Kalanina is always compelling. And then how about Marketa von Drusva? 4-1 down after play is stopped on day two. She comes back, earns a three-set win over Ali Risk. By the way, thus far on the women's side, 21 three-set matches. On the men's side, 13 five-setters. Uh, you look yesterday, Ostapenko, a three-set win, 7-6, 5-7-6 over Bondar. Buxa, the three-set win. Sakari Collins, the three-set wins. And then uh, certainly a bunch of them uh, from the round one matches. Begu, Jong, uh, Vekic, Von Drusova, Siegmund, etc. Um, so plenty of good results. Uh, I would say the best watches on the women's side, though. Parish, uh, excuse me, Von Drusova, Kalanina on the men's side. Tiafo Shang. I mean, Jerry's just such a fun shot maker, and Francis is always a compelling watch. And then Holt Vukic. It was really physical. It's really fun. Man, Brandon Holt is just a smaller Sebi Corda. And obviously that means the ceiling's not as high, but he is so smooth around the court. That technique is God-given. It's really, really impressive. You can tell how long he has had a racket in his hand, the former USC All-American five-set winner over Alex Vukic. You know, again, with that in mind, uh, let's talk about the rest of what we saw unfold on day number three. Uh, day number three, yeah. See, I'm losing track in my head already. That's how you know week one is truly rocking and rolling. But again, first round matches we've yet to talk about. Jung Shui, three-set win. Begu, three-set win. Vekic, Siegemann, Stefanini, Lauren Davis, who is coming off of a title run, obviously, for her to get to the second round. Always tough to follow up a title the week before with any success in the major, but she manages to do it. Potapova, straight sets over Stevens. Tough loss for Sloan. 0-3 during her Australia stretch. Lou, 3-4 and over Brangle. What a glow, Claire Lou. I'm still buying more Claire Lou stock. And then Lynette, straight sets over Sharif. Uh, you look at the other matches. I mean, we've mentioned most of them on the in the second round. But Kostyuk, great follow-up after her Nisimova win 2-1 over Gadecki. And then credit to Katerina Bandel, who I underestimated. Just so solid around, uh, just about everywhere. Great firepower. 1-6 win over Katie McNally to advance to round number three. On the men's side, again, we had 10 first-round matches come to their conclusion. RBA, straight-side winner over Sosa. Kokonakis. 
wins the fastest five points I've ever seen. Straight set win one, two, and two over Fonini. Sets up a blockbuster with Andy Murray on day four. Umber, Cacao, straight set winners. Rusevori, Manorino, Kudla in four, and then Cressy, uh, Cressy in four, and then Holt and Michael Moe. And by the way, credit to Michael Moe, who as of right now, and I made a big bet at the start of the season with Ben Rothenberg that Michael Moe would end the year as the 10th ranked American right now. Michael Moe with his win up to a new career high for the recent birthday boy, the 25-year-old up to a new career high, number 89 in the live rankings. I mean, again, did he push his way to victory against locally? Absolutely. Did it work? Absolutely. Does he still have weapons when he wants to be aggressive? Absolutely. Is the serve still a nightmare to deal with? Absolutely. I'm all in on the size, on the skill set of Michael Moe. I think he has a big 2023 season if, God willing, he can remain healthy. But those were your round one matches. Your unseeded winners, Lechechka, four sets over Eubanks. Shout out to Yuri, who, again, keeps the next-gen success alive. He was a finalist at the next-gen finals last year into the third round, I believe, for the first time at a major. And right now, you look for Lechechka with this run. He is currently sitting uh, at number 66 in the live rankings, up five spots in seven. Off of his career high, your other winner, Martin Fucevic, four sets over Lloyd Harris. That was a fun, physical, big serve, big first strike sort of match. With that in mind, that's your look at day number three of this 2023 Australian Open. Now, I know, again, we're getting this episode out a little bit later than I'd like, but quick run-through of the best day four matches on the women's side. Garcia Fernandez, come on now. Shabur Vandrusova, come on now. Samsonova Vekic, come on now. Sabalenka Rogers, Benchich Lou, Alexandrova Townsend feels destined for three sets. Pliskova Putin Seva, Kudermatova Volley Nets. Conteve Lynette, Mertens Davis even, like 10 good ones to pick from throughout the course of the night. And then on the men's side, Davidovich, Fokina, and Paul. There's just too much athleticism. I'm in on that. Murray Kokonakis, Rude Brooksby, Rublev Rusevori, Zverev Moe. That matches five-plus hours. Wolf Schwartzman, PCB Bonzi, RBA Holt, Runa Cressy. A lot of good tennis on day number four, which, of course, we will be back tomorrow to talk all about. Again, if you're looking for more in-depth preview content, the Great Shot Podcast feed is the place for you. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. With that said, for the fantastic Super producer Daniel Westoff, our dear friends at Tennis Point, who, by the way, you can go access by going to tennis-point.com and using our promo code CR15 today. And from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.